Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello, hello, and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Hey, I'm Dr. Julie Crawl, and I have a very special show for you today. Is it time to change our definition of what it means to be daring? And what does it mean to be bold? Our understanding and acceptance of power usually comes from a very masculine perspective. Women in power is an evolving construct, yet across the globe, women are forging a new path, one that blends risk-taking with caretaking, fearlessness with tenderness, and independence with interdependence. Omega Institute says, on our planet, with no territory left to exploit and no war that can be won, empathy, love, and wisdom have become the most heroic of all endeavors. Isn't that beautiful? Today's show is a call for women to be bold, both personally and as a collective. So I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I welcome our guest. Elizabeth Lesser is a best-selling author and the co-founder of Omega Institute, an education and retreat center focused on health, wellness, spirituality, creativity, and social change. And they've been around since 1977. She has been a true pioneer. Her New York Times best-selling book, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow, has sold almost 300,000 copies and has been translated into 20 languages. It's one of my favorite. She's also the co-founder of the Omega Women's Leadership Center, which grew out of the popular Women in Power conference series she created. These renowned gatherings feature women leaders, business mavericks, authors, activists, and artists from around the world. And there's one coming up, so I'm so happy to welcome Elizabeth Lesser. Welcome, Elizabeth. Hey, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you. Like I mentioned, I am I'm thrilled to have you here, and I think this topic is really important. And before we get into that, we really like to set our intention for our show in a meme that um, kind of calls for a perennial question that we like to ask week to week. So, Elizabeth, I want to start with that question with you, and that is, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, um, the name Omega that that my institute uh, took for itself uh, almost 40 years ago, it's it's an interesting question to ask me that because Hmm. that's um, when we went looking for a name all those years ago, 40 years ago when so much of the subject matter that you're doing such a beautiful job with on on the radio and online, and we've tried to do over the years at Omega, uh, so much of the subject matter back then, like meditation, natural food, alternative health, spirituality without religion, all of those subjects were so at the fringe way back then, and now they're so much a part of our culture. So back then we were looking for a word that maybe would let people know 
what, what does this mean, all things connected? What would an institute about connection, what kind of word would we choose? And we came across the writing of um, this Catholic scholar, a Parisian Catholic scholar, Tehard de Chardin. I don't know if any of you uh, know that name. Uh, he was this brilliant French Catholic priest, and the Vatican was always upset with him because he talked exactly what you just asked me, how, about how all things are connected. He, he talked about an omega point, which is this point in consciousness that all things are evolving toward. And because he used the word evolution, the Vatican kept um, banishing him. All, you know, from like Paris, they sent him to China and to Africa, and he kept writing, he kept being incredibly popular, writing about how everything is connected, all consciousness, all religions, all peoples, and that God itself is part of this connected tissue. And the last place that the Vatican banished him to was a place in upstate New York on the Hudson River. And for a European man, he felt he had gone to the real backwater. And when we purchased Omega's land, um, five years after we had started the Institute, we purchased this old summer camp. We were amazed and thrilled, kind of mystified, to discover that he is buried just a few miles down the road in the monastery that he died in when he was banished to upstate New York. So I feel very, uh, I love that question, what is all things connected, because it's what Omega is all about. Mm, nice. Well, you know, Omega has been around for since 1977, and you were a pioneer. Uh, you started Omega in a time when, you know, we were just starting to talk about prevention and nutrition and mind-body connection and the eastern philosophies were just starting to be sprinkled over here in the west and started cross-fertilizing all of these concepts and and you know science psychology religion and what a pioneer you were to to found this tell us about the early years what what inspired you to to begin with omega institute and where has it grown since then well, you know, I was in my early 20s, so if you had told me then that I was a pioneer and Omega would grow into what it has, you know, we, we, we have about 30,000 guests every year come through our doors, and I, I wouldn't have, I didn't feel like a pioneer. I was just a kid, and the other people with me, I didn't start Omega on my own, of course, um, at the time, I was married to my co-founder. He's a medical doctor, young medical doctor who was interested in alternative medicine. And I was an educator and a, a midwife and just a, a spiritual seeker. And we just were interested in some kind of far-out things that we didn't even know if any other people would be that interested in. You know, it was... A lot of gurus were coming from the East at that time. I, they were kind of like washing up on the shores of America and a sprinkling of young people were interested. So we just thought, well, if we're interested in this, maybe other people will. And it was one of those things that was like 
right time, right place, right people. It started off so fast out of the gate. I remember the first couple of years we were like, oh my God, do we really have to keep doing this? (laughs) Like, should we keep doing this? And (laughs) by, you know, year 10, Omega had taught us stuff we never knew about marketing and business plans and strategic plans. We had no idea about how to do any of that. And um, Omega has really taught me everything I know about running a business and um, uh, being a hospitality center and being a retreat center. So it's changed profoundly over the years because the culture has changed profoundly. And it's a chicken and egg thing. People often say to me, you're such a pioneer. You helped bring this into the world. I don't, I don't look at it that way. I feel like we caught a wave that was coming in, and um, we've been riding it ever since. Mm. That's a beautiful way to look at it. And one of the other things that um, feel like a really um, powerful wave is what you're doing with women in leadership. Let's let's just talk about that for a second. You put the words women and power together and those two words really evoke an interesting response. I've, I said it out loud to a couple of people and they were talking about masculine definitions and, and asking questions and on social media, people are really buzzing about it. But you literally created the Women in Power Conference and have been going since 2002. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so tell us about Women in Power and and really, I'd love to hear what's underneath that of what does women in power, those two words together, really mean for you? Well, I, I have started many conferences at Omega over these 40 years. I, I never thought that when I started the Women in Power, that one conference, that it was going to turn into what it did. But I often, when I'll start uh, thinking about what would be an interesting conference for Omega to sponsor this year. Uh, I'll often think of like, what are what are some words that we could put together that would that would make people sit up and think? Um, because if you just do what everyone's doing, um, it, it doesn't it doesn't really stimulate people to think in new ways, to think in connective ways, as you were saying earlier, and. When I thought of the words, putting the words women and power together, it created in me a couple of things. One was like, no, those words don't go together. It was almost like lacking in good taste to put the words women and power together. Women aren't supposed to want power. Women aren't supposed to be powerful. But then it also caused in me a sense of defiance. Um, and you might think for someone whose books are about spiritual issues and, and whose whole organization is more about spiritual issues, like why would I want to create defiance? But look at the great change makers in the world whom the world reveres, a Dr. King, a Nelson Mandela, a Ansang Suu Kyi in Burma, just name so many of the great revolutionaries. They're also deeply spiritual people. They feel a calling. They sense a hunger. 
in the world for something new, better, different, more inclusive. And I have always been a feminist, the kind of feminist who believes that women have something awesome and necessary to offer the world. The world needs, especially now, what women know in our bones about connectivity. And to deny women, uh, for the culture to deny women the voice, and for women to deny ourselves the voice to make change is, is really an irresponsibility both on the part of women and the culture. And so uh, power, to me, is really only energy. It's harnessed energy to get something done. Now, it's come to mean manipulation, aggression, getting something for oneself over other people, power over. But that's not what power really is. Power is like the sun. It's shining. It's bright. It warms, it creates, and I was interested when I put those two words together and invited the first speakers to come to this conference, I was interested in, can women not just grab the power paradigm that's already active? Can we recreate what it means to be powerful? Can we change power as we take power? Because if we've seen it now. We've seen women go into the boardrooms and the corporate structures and the universities and politics. And if all we do as women in leadership is take on what already exists, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a woman or a man or someone from Mars or whatever. But I'm interested in women changing what power means. Mm. That right there is... A, a good reason to just pause and breathe that in because women redefining, recreating. Um, I, I love some of the language that you use to promote the conference even because it, it is more about that connectivity and that integration. You know, this week our political landscape has been a little tumultuous and and the topic of women in power have come up in, in the debates and, and well, all over social media and on all over right now. And I, I think one of the things that I hear you saying is that a lot of our models of leadership and power have been very masculine and recreating a more feminine definition um, really would, would serve all of us. Let's, let's talk about that. What, would a, what is your feminine definition of power and women in power, what does that really look like for you? And what have you learned over the last, you know, 13 years doing this Women in Power conference? Well, we have to be really careful when we use the words feminine and masculine um, because if, if we uh, relegate women to just one way of being, like if you think of the feminine as more receptive, more cooperative, more nurturing, those are all wonderful, wonderful qualities. And certainly that definition of femininity is something the world desperately needs. And some women actually don't resonate with, the, with that definition of femininity. 
like if you look at some of the ancient gods and goddesses, the ancient Greek gods, the Hindu gods, a lot of the women goddesses are fierce. They are protective, and they'll do anything to to further um, the agenda of goodness in the world. So we got to be careful when we talk about the feminine that we don't sort of like shrink back into kind of a sweetness that isn't um, able to withstand like what we saw happen this week. Like, for example, in the Republican debate, when we saw a powerful woman being sort of uh, denigrated and and shamed, um, to me, that 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 calls forth in me a fierce femininity. So I just want to be careful that we don't just think of all women as sweet and kind and all men as strong, bullies, aggressive. That's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, last year at our Women in Power conference, we, we called it Women and Men, the next conversation, because we really wanted to bring home that so many men are are deeply devoted to this idea of um, gender equality and celebrating our differences as opposed to making people right and wrong. One of the things that came out of that conference, which was so fantastic, a lot of great things came out, but my favorite thing was to hear from a lot of the young men, the millennial men, the Gen X men, who were becoming... Um, equal family members, equaling in their parenting, like becoming amazing fathers and being grateful for the opportunity that women's empowerment has brought them to finally experience the joy of being a true parent and becoming more nurturing. You might say um, exercising their more feminine side. And it's just been so interesting to me over, like, let's say the last hundred years, how women have risen to the occasion to develop their masculinity, their masculine side. They've joined the workforce. They've become educated. They've become leaders. And that's, been, that's seen as good and acceptable. But for a man to say, I, now I want to develop my feminine side, I want to be more compassionate, I want to be a more of a nurturer, that's seen as men kind of abdicating true masculinity instead of rounding themselves out. So I'm really interested in the kind of women's empowerment that also allows men to become full human beings. Do you know what I mean? Mm, absolutely. I, I really appreciate this conversation because, you know, a big part of, of what I see happening is this integration of our wholeness of who we right. really are and and even when people will refer to them as female or or male it it seems like those words don't even work anymore because it really is about our full integration of masculine and feminine and mm-hmm. i love how you say there's awesome and necessary traits and stuff that we have to give you know you speak a lot at events around the world on issues of, of spiritual growth, cultural change, and this women's empowerment, which now is also men's empowerment of all of us embracing these these traits and really filling ourselves out in, in more wholeness here. But it seems like these 
three things really go together. I, I love your work when we talk about women empowerment, men empowerment. It is also a spiritual growth that's happening and leading toward cultural change. So I see even even your platforms is fully integrated. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for saying that. Um, it it I have felt over, let's say, the past 10 years when I started doing the women's empowerment work at Omega, I have felt an integration of parts of myself that for the longest time felt at odds. Because I was raised in a very... Um, socially active family. I was raised by two atheists who their idea of a good person was someone who got involved in their society, in their town, in government, and really worked hard for justice. My mother was like working for civil rights when I was a child and voters' rights. And um, so I was, I was raised in, with that is the ethos of my family. And I just was born, like a, in, according to my family, like this freaky little kid who was also interested in spirituality. And I would follow my neighbors to Catholic Church because I just wanted something. Like I remember when I, I decided to go with them on Ash Wednesday because the idea of getting that smudge on your forehead sounded so like spiritually romantic to me. I probably was like 11 or something. I came home and my mother just was horrified. Like I was drinking the religion Kool-Aid that she had worked so hard to like (laughs) take her family away from. But I had these two really strong pulls in myself towards spirit and mysticism and inner peace. And then this kind of knowing from childhood, like if only I have inner peace and I live in a world that is at war and that is unjust. If I only feel connected within myself, but the world around me is deeply disconnected, it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for the world. So I've, I've been on this quest for years to see if I could integrate those two poles within me. And it's been difficult because Sometimes when you're around spiritually minded people, there's kind of a lethargy and a lack of caring for the world. But when you're around activists, like I remember when we started bringing peace activists to hold their own organizational retreats at Omega, I would do introductory talks and I'd look around and I'd think, these are the angriest people I've ever met. Like, here are these peace activists, and they're, like, pissed off all the time. So these two different worlds, kind of the lazy spiritual people and the pissed off (laughs) activists, I I have been on a quest to, to bring those two urges together. And it really has been working for me finally when I started doing the Women in Power work. Mm. I can see how it, it really does integrate beautifully, and I really appreciate you bringing up the the masculine and feminine piece of that. You know, one of the things before um, we go on break in just a few minutes, you you talk about blending this risk taking with caretaking, fearlessness with tenderness, and mm-hmm. independence with interdependence, and and 
I love the the choice of words that you used. Um, again, blending that that mm-hmm. masculine and feminine. It's really right. a beautiful just juxtaposition. Yeah, that's what the conferences are all about, and we try to match that spirit with different speakers who represent all the different ways that a woman can feel her fullness. Mm. Well, give us a few names of some of those speakers this year that are going to be at the Women in Power Conference. Um, Well, a name that most people or many people who are listening will know is Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love and many other books. And um, her new book is about being creative. Uh, It's called Big Magic. And so to me, there's nothing more in need of one's inner boldness is in creating something, being creative. You put yourself so out there, it's scary. She's going to be talking about that, how to get over your fear of being highly creative in life. And then we have someone I'm so excited to have. Um, she's from Yemen. She was the first woman in the government at Yemen and the first editor of the Yemen Times. And she's in exile now because we all know what's going on in that part of the world. And she's going to be talking about a different kind of fearlessness, like what happens when you're under house arrest and at any moment they may come and storm your house and take away your children and have to be airlifted out of your country with your kids by the UN and what it's been like for her to find that inner strength that helps her stay working for her cause um, because she believes in it. So clearly, and one amazing thing about the Women in Power conferences is we've had women leaders from around the world. We've had all the women Nobel Peace Prize winners and women like that. And you think, oh, how could they be like me? I'm just like a school teacher here or a businesswoman here or a mom. But what's so amazing is that we're all so similar. We all need the same uh, infusion of inspiration and fearlessness. We need each other. We need support. We need ideas. And being with all these diverse kind of women, and there'll be many different kinds of, of speakers at this Women in Power conference, but we all share that, that need for inspiration and healing and community. Mm. I love that. You know, I, it reminds me of your TED Talk. So we're going to take a quick break. And I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you and what websites you might send them to. And then we're going to take a quick break and we're going to talk more about being bold. So, Elizabeth, where can our listeners find you? Well, they can find information about Omega and about the Women in Power Conference at the letter E, Omega, E-O-M-E-G-A dot org. Or uh, they can call 800 944 1001. And my own website is elizabethlesser.org. Okay, excellent. So that's eomega.org and elizabethlesser.org. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, so much more on Women in Power. This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. 
Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet. What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl. What? You'd rather use this time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold. People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? <laughs> what? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt! Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cat stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. Nah. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. <laughs> Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest, where the other you lives. But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Okay, we are back on the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. And thanks for tuning into this a conversation. So important. We're here with Elizabeth Lesser, and we're talking about women and power. If you like what you're hearing and you want to share the archive with your friends, you can go to our website, thedrjulieshow.com or the empowerradio.net. Um, our archives are there on both of those sites. So again, that's the drjulieshow.com. We would love for you to visit and see who we have for upcoming guests. We have a lot of incredible shows there in the archives and coming up yet this fall. And stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected, where we try to continue this conversation. You can find Elizabeth at eomega.org and Elizabeth 
lesser.org. Okay, we're talking about women in power. And right before the break, Elizabeth, you were talking about um, really, um, it, it reminded me of your TED Talk. And your TED Talk is Take the Other to Lunch. And we're talking about really learning how to connect with even those that might appear different. And what you were saying is we all have a lot of real common um, needs. We have shared vision. There's a lot that we have, even if we might be politically very different or um, even in our leadership styles, very different. And one of the things that I think that the Women in Power, Women and Power Conference does is really helps people find who they are and um, really look toward those inner qualities and, and step up more. So when you can you just speak a little bit about, I'm going on and on here and I don't usually do that, <laughs> but I love your TED Talk because really I have never, I'm, I'm a psychologist um, that has been in private practice for a very long time and I've never sat down with someone that I didn't really like once I knew who they were and once I, you know, once I knew who they were beyond maybe this external um, appearance that we put on the persona part, really we are a lot alike deep down, a lot alike. Can you speak to that? Yeah. Well, I came uh, to give a TED talk in an interesting way. I had given a keynote talk at one of our Women in Power conferences, and with I didn't know it, but one of the organizers of TED was in the audience and came up to me later and said, there was one thing you talked about in your keynote talk that I think would make a good TED talk, and it's about pretty much the, what you just said, Julie, um, how beneath the veneer of our differences is, is such similarity that we'd be shocked. And could, could you talk about that? Could you do a TED Talk on that? Oh, of course I said yes. I mean, who wouldn't say yes to giving a TED Talk? Well, maybe, maybe somebody afraid of speaking would. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I thought, yeah, I would love to do that. And as I thought about it, I thought, how am I going to make this more interesting than just a blah, 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 be nice to each other kind of talk. And I, I thought, I think I, I'm going to do an experiment myself. I'm going to invite to lunch people whose beliefs, everything from bore to horrify me. I'm going to take them to lunch and see what I can find underneath our veneers. I'm going to make some guidelines and, and let us both know at the beginning that this isn't an opportunity to change each other's mind. We're going to listen to each other. We're not going to try to push an agenda. We're just going to see what would happen if we sat down as two human beings stripped of rabid opinions. What would happen at lunch? And I ended up taking quite a few people to lunch, uh, a woman who is part of a, the local tea party movement in my area, somebody who was actually running for office as a kind of close to a white supremacist, not really, but like some really radical views about the other. And I ended up calling the TED Talk, Take the Other, 
to lunch. Anyone you think is really different from you. Maybe you would think someone who's gay is so foreign and mysterious and slightly frightening. Maybe you think someone from a different political party. Maybe you think someone from a different country or race. Anyone who you have locked in a box of otherness, see if you could just simply take them out of that box and find their humanity. This all came from that conference I was telling you about where we'd been doing several Women in Power conferences. I think we were into like our fourth or fifth year. And I thought to myself, if we dare as women to say that we would do power differently if a large enough mass of women were empowered, that, that, the, that the paradigm of power would change, I really want to test and see if that's true. So I decided to invite to the conference a group of women who were uh, active in the pro-life and pro-choice movement and who had been meeting together for years to try to find some harmony together, not to change each other, but to, because there, there had been a uh, bombing of their abortion clinic in Boston, and they were all so horrified, people from both sides of the political spectrum in that issue. They were so horrified, they wanted to see if they could do something to bring peace to the situation. So I invited these women to the stage at Omega for the Women in Power Conference, just to kind of model this idea of going beyond otherness. Women, if we say we are better listeners, we're more cooperative, we're more collaborative. If we say that, then are we, can we really walk that talk? And it was interesting. I brought those women. They did their thing on the stage. And some people in the audience were moved and understood it. And other people who had more of a political agenda didn't understand why I would even do that. They, they couldn't get out of the other thing. That's how my Take the Other to Lunch TED Talk came to be. And in it, I share uh, the, the guidelines for having this kind of lunch with, quote unquote, the other and what happened to me and what I learned from it. Mm, thank you. It is a very popular TED Talk. And um, I'm sure our listeners will go look that up since we've spoke about it. You know, it, it reminds me of, you know, everything is on this continuum. You know, right and left are just extremes of the same continuum. And, and I, I remember in your TED Talk, you also talked about being raised that if you're intelligent, you're not spiritual. And, and I, I see you as a powerful leader, a powerful leading woman, but a powerful leader that really is is speaking the truth of, of this integration now, of really bringing these things together and helping us not be afraid to look at these issues. Mm-hmm. Thank mm-hmm. you for doing that. Oh, thank you for saying that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I, I think about this, the in, even the intelligence and spiritual, you're not intelligent if you're spiritual, it reminds me of your theme for this year. So let's let's talk about that for a little bit. You picked for this year being bold. What does that mean? How did you pick that? Well, you know, as with most of the things that I have done at Omega, I pick it because it's up for me in my own life. And I spent 
uh, the last two years uh, being my sister's caretaker as she was fighting and then dying from cancer. And I began to feel as I was spending hours sitting by her side and I was her bone marrow donor and I was in the hospital a lot watching these amazing nurses and caretakers and I began to think, you know, we have this culture where we revere the the soldier and we revere the type A boardroom personality, all these people who are like being bold in the conventional source. But here I was in, um, in a caretaking role, and I felt I was being called to be brave in a way that was way more brave than anything I'd ever done, which was giving myself fully in love and devotion, kind of dropping out of the, the rat race of work to caretake. And I had some deep thoughts about the boldness of women through the ages to care for the young and the old and the sick, to care for our planet. And I thought to myself, how the heck did we come as a human community to define war and uh, business as the only way of being brave, the brave warrior? Well, what about the brave caretaker and the brave teacher and the brave parents? the people who are the glue, the heart glue of society. I want to elevate that to the same sort of reverence that we give to the soldier. I mean, I'm all for, like, revering young people who give their life for a country, but that is not the only form of courage. So that was the impetus to redefine what it means to be bold and the reason that's so important for women is because we go into business and leadership and we think, okay, I don't know how to be brave. I don't know how to be a powerful leader. Teach me, oh, ye old leaders and powerful people. But actually, they have a lot to learn from us. And the world needs to learn from what women have have learned how, I mean, it's not that women are necessarily more collaborative and kind and uh, nurturing. It's that that's been our role for millennia. That is the role we were given. And so that is the role the world needs now in a leader. I mean, even the research is showing that now, that the best leaders are collaborative and compassionate and empathetic. And those are the skills we have honed for millennia. So let us add it and redefine what leadership means. Mm. Do you have any examples of leadership models that are really bringing in a lot of these qualities that we're talking about? I know there are many um, that are popping on holacracy and, and other circle type um, leadership models. There's a lot coming into our awareness and really some beautiful new ways of leading. But do you have any examples of that, of what you're seeing and what might, what might be working in our world? Well, you know, um, yes. And it's not only women, it's also men. And there's a tremendous amount of research being done now 
in leadership schools and universities um, and think tanks about what is really working in this era when we're so interconnected. And lo and behold, what it turns out to be are some of the very qualities that women innately have, which is empowering other people alongside with your own power. The great leaders now are not the ones who are claiming all of it for themselves and not learning how to delegate and share. I mean, all you have to do is go and look the way some of the most successful companies now in Silicon Valley and other places are being run. It's a much more collaborative uh, model than what's come before. And so when you ask for, like, who is an example, it's not the who anymore. It's not the Alexander the Great or Theodore Roosevelt or the other ways we've thought before of what would an enlightened leader look like. It's more groups of people, uh, movements, structures within organizations that allow everyone to shine. I'm not talking about like total shared power and no hierarchy, but I'm talking le- about less of an egocentric model of leadership and more of a model where everyone is... Um, valued and seen and given a chance to shine. Now, that sounds very um, high in the sky, but there are many, many examples of groups that are pulling this off. And I think of us, for example, at Omega and how hard it is to do this, how time-consuming, but all that's required now is for people to try a different way because the old way is crumbling. And one of the ways you know it's crumbling is the knee-jerk reaction of the old patriarchal structures that are rising up to attack this new equality that we see happening in our culture. Uh, I mean, whether it's the rapidity that we saw with the gay rights movement, what's going on now with Black Lives Matter, uh, there's just a lot of grassroots rising up, and that makes the old ways very scared, whether it's radical Islam or what's going on with the radical elements in this country. Uh, there's going to be a lot of backlash when people question the way power has been done for millennia. Mm. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for having your finger on the pulse of what's happening globally, because this is about a new global leadership. I'm wondering, Elizabeth, do you have a vision for a positive future? Where are we going and how are we going to get there? I never know how to answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't. I don't even know how to answer it when people ask me it at Omega, like, you know, any of you who are in business, you'll bring a consultant in and they'll have you do the five-year dream and the five-year vision and plan. And I'm just one of those, like, nose-to-the-grindstone person. Like, let's just do the work. Let's just get clear in our own heart and in our own intention. I work really hard to tame my own ego, to question my own motivations, to stay clean and clear in my relationships, and, and then I just try to get to work 
And I feel the same way with the world. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm a hopelessly optimistic person. I absolutely believe that humanity has everything we need to clean up the environment, to bring equality, to uh, share the bounty of the earth. I, I believe we can do that. And I believe there's more people trying to do that than there aren't. So I just try to do my work in my little corner, stay really actively aware of what's going on in the world, stay positive. I, I am not a doomsdayer. I find that very disturbingly enervating. I don't like being around people who are like always complaining and seeing the worst in humanity. I try to see the best try to keep my own intention as pure as I can, and, and then I just get to work. Mm. Well, you don't know how to answer that question about a vision for a positive future, but you just did a beautiful job. <laughs> you gave us a really beautiful prescription, and I think it's that integration of that mystic and that intelligent um, female leader that you are, that literally how you're doing your life is a incredible prescription for all of us so thank you for that i love that answer i love it so you know when i'm when i'm thinking about this positive um future and you just really focusing on you it's kind of like when we all really come into alignment with who we are and and what we're called to do, what are our gifts, our innate gifts, and, and how do we activate that? When we all come into our own, and, and like you were saying earlier in the show, activate it. Don't just be this passive mystic mm-hmm. that's finding inner peace, but really activating our part. It seems like all the synapses across the planet just start connecting. Mm-hmm. And, and you're an active feminist and an environmentalist, and, and you have been for years. Um, what does it mean to you now as you're watching all of these synapses connecting around the planet as far as our ongoing evolution of life here? Because you, you must be encouraged and discouraged um, probably, but encouraged with all the people who are waking up. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I, I fluctuate back and forth the way all of us probably do of being encouraged and then being discouraged and being like impatient and being faithful. I mean, at the base of it all for me, I mean, you just said something that I really feel needs to be repeated, which is um, the call to be who you are, the call get out of comparing yourself to other people's work and just to find what your work is and to really trust that that's enough and that's good and that's beautiful. That's, to me, really important. And it's encouraging to see, for me, to see so many people around the world really understanding that and doing that, working on themselves and then bringing that self out into the world. Um, that that encourages me, and I and could you repeat the question? <laughs> I got caught up in that because I really do think that that's the key. You know, if if somebody was to ask me, well, 
what should I do? What should, what should I do? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. What should I do? My, my answer would be, find out who you are. Find out, you know, each of us is born with this, like we're like a little acorn that has the big oak in us already. And, and just to find out what is that acorn? Who are you meant to be? Not like, some sort of wild dream that if the only way you could make a difference would be to be Einstein or, or Mother Teresa or whatever your, your image of perfection is. Forget the perfection. Just find out who you are and heal whatever it is that's standing between you and that and then bring that out into the world. The world wants you. So that's my... Um, you know, that's to me the the first step. Yeah, I think it's a, a beautiful step too. Thank you for saying that. And, and I can tell how it does just light your fire. And one of the things I just want to make sure that our listeners, um, again, know how to find you because the other thing I want to bring up is your books. It's another great prescription for all of us. So I want to just remind our listeners they can find more on the Omega Institute at eomega.org and more with Elizabeth Lesser at elizabethlesser.org. And your book, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow. You know, again, that's another beautiful prescription if we think more globally of what's happening. There's so Mm -hmm. many things that are just breaking Mm -hmm. down, and and like Barbara Marks Hubbard says, breakdowns lead to breakthroughs. And I think that's the optimism that I hear under your your voice today is that literally there are so many beautiful things that are emerging. And and I just want to remind our listeners of your book, Broken Open, How Difficult Times Can Help Us Grow. And you also have written The Seeker's Guide, which is really lovely. So um, any last closing remarks that you might want to share with our listeners, Elizabeth, Uh, maybe a pep talk or something um, that's on on your heart in this moment? Well, I did just want to tell people, since you did ask me so much about the women's conference, that um, it's coming up at Omega on September 18th, Being Bold, Women in Power Conference, um, September 18th through 20th. And um, there's still room in it, so you could get in touch with Omega if you would like to attend that. And also, we have lots of talks from past Women in Power conferences on our website as well. And, oh gosh, there's just so many powerful talks that you could listen to there and get a lot of inspiration. Um, you know, I think I've, I've, I've said anything, uh, everything, and just wanna th- I want to thank people who are doing their beautiful work all over the world, and I, I just hope you know that your peace in this idea of all things connected, your peace is critical, important, valuable, fascinating. So tell your story, feel your boldness, and uh, do your part in your part of the world. It's just as important as anyone else's. Mm. Beautiful message to lean to to leave us on. Thank you, Elizabeth Lesser. It has been a delight to have you with us here today. Thank I, you. 
Yeah, I really appreciate you joining us. And um, listeners, again, the conference is coming up in September. You can go to eomega.org, check that out. And also many, like you said, podcasts, webcasts are there for your listening. And, and there's there's just tons of stuff there. So again, thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We appreciate you listening in on this conversation about women and power. We'll see you right back here next week. Bye-bye. <music> 